I never would have guessed that uh, Job 1 would contain an awesome Father's Day lesson, but in fact it does. And when you think about it, that kind of makes sense because Job was an excellent man of God. He was a man of God, but he was also an excellent father. you got to be a good father to have 10 kids. Well, not really. It's pretty easy to have 10 kids, but to raise 10 kids with integrity, now that is what we want to learn about this morning. As we uh, think about that, I want you also, the prayer, our prayer alert is for Beth Calmes, and it's kind of fitting. It's a request for her dad, and uh, he is in intensive care right now with multiple problems, uh, resulting from uh, uh, many years bout with muscular disease. And it doesn't look good. He's in a lot of pain, has blood clots in his legs, lungs, and a broken shoulder, and has failed to swallow test. And so they, they have some hard decisions to make. And it's just made that much harder when you're uh, thousands of miles away on another continent. So if you would remember uh, Mitch and Beth, but particularly Beth and her, her dad on this Father's Day, you know her thoughts are with them. We want to talk this morning about prosperity and you know you're living in times of prosperity when uh, uh, this past week uh, Jeremy and I we went to Oklahoma Joe's and uh, when the line's super long I'm always trying to talk him into going to the taco place next door it's a really good taco place but I talked him into that once this time he said you're not doing that this time so we stood in line and as we're waiting literally I could not believe this I saw a guy throw away like four ribs. I mean, like four, connect, four, right there, right there in the trash. I almost started eating them. You know, we're standing, I mean, they're, they're right there. They're right there. And I'm like, this is unreal. And, and, uh, and, and then we go a few feet more, and a guy throws away two of these. I mean, first of all, that's just like sin. You know, I mean, that just borders on sin. But you know you're living in times of prosperity. I'm, I was like, I was just looking at it, like that's a half rack of ribs that are going in the trash uh, for no good reasons. Well, in good times and bad times, look at the top of your notes. In good times and bad times, the desire of every parent, dad, mom, single mom, single dad, doesn't matter. Every parent is to raise kids with blameless integrity. That's just a fact. Every parent. Uh, you don't have to be a Christian. Uh, every parent wants their kid to live with blameless integrity. As a dad, I can tell you I want my daughter to live with integrity both in good times and in bad times. And just to remind us, what's it mean, blameless integrity? By this time, you guys ought to know, blameless integrity is not being sinless. None of our kids are. None of us are. But it means sinning less out of a love-based fear of God. It means that when they do sin, they deal with it in the way that God has required. They deal with sin. They don't hide their sin. They deal with it. It means they are quick to hear God, quick to obey God from the heart. That's what we want. Do you want that for your kids? Do you want that for your kids? Is that what you desire? It's being on the inside what they appear to be on the outside. Now, in good times and bad times, I would love to hear others say of my daughter, there was a daughter in the land of Kansas City whose name was Amber, and that young woman was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Wouldn't that be great? I would, that's, I would love to have my daughter have that reputation. Wouldn't you like to hear, there was a son 
in the land of Kansas City whose name was, fill in the blank, Ethan. And that young man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. You see, we kind of hear that and we think, well, that's kind of, I would never think that. But that's exactly what Job's reputation is in Job chapter 1. Wouldn't you think, Kirk, would that be exciting to hear that of Ethan? I mean, just for a, 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 one day, one hour, you know, something. And it's possible. That's what we want. Uh, who wouldn't be thrilled? Listen to me. Who wouldn't be thrilled to hear God in heaven say of our grown kids, Have you considered my servant Amber? For there's no one like her on earth, a blameless and upright woman, fearing God and turning away from evil. Can you imagine God saying that of your kids? That's what we desire as parents. But let me ask you, which is harder? Raising kids to have that kind of integrity in prosperity or adversity? What do you think? Which is harder? Raising kids like that with integrity in times of adversity or prosperity? Well, in Proverbs 30, verse 8, and I think I have it there in your notes, it, there's really temptations in both. And this is, one, this is a great Proverbs. You want a proverb to memorize or write up and to think on. Listen to Proverbs 38. Keep deception and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not, my, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of God. That is, there is so much wisdom packed into that. Think through what it says. In times of prosperity, we're tempted to take God for granted. We begin to think we don't need God, and we basically say, look, look what I did. Who's God? Who's the Lord? Look at what I did. I provided this for my family. But in times of, of adversity, in times of poverty, we tend to take matters into our own hands, and we begin to think we have to fend for ourselves. And we say, look, this is what I had to do because I'm so poor. So, but when you think about that, the temptation's the same. It's a lack of trust in God and taking matters into our own hands. So, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you're going through tough times and you're like, man, if I had it better, it would be easier to serve God, that's not necessarily true. And if you're going through good times and you're like, wow, if bad times come, it's going to be harder to serve God, that's not necessarily true because the temptation's the same. But I would say this, I would say this, even though that is the wisdom of Proverbs, I would say that there are unique temptations that are real to raising kids in times of prosperity. And I just want to say, I don't I think I have to drive this point home, we live in times of prosperity. Now, I know times are hard. I know even in our church, we have people who have struggled losing jobs and uh, cuts in pay. I understand all that. But do you realize what we just had breakfast? We just ate more and potentially uh, are, are not using more than the rest of the world has in a week. All right? And listen to these stats. A family of five living just above the poverty level in the U.S. is actually the top 1% compared to the rest of the world. You know, right now we're talking a lot of talk, economy, the top 1%, how rich the top 1%. 
Well, look at one another and realize we're all in the top, upper 1% compared to the rest of the world. In fact, the bottom 10%, the bottom 10% of the U.S. income distribution ends up being in the upper 30% of the global income distribution. I say all that to say this. We are raising kids in prosperous times. The question is not whether they'll have a phone, it's what kind of phone. You understand what I'm saying? We live in those times where we rarely have to say no to our kids. So this is what I want you to see this morning from Job chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. We're going to see the delights that we ought to enjoy as parents, as people living with integrity. It's okay to delight in God's blessings. We're going to see the dangers that we need to be aware of, and that's going to be crucial. And then number three, I want us to see the discernment that it takes to raise our kids in that way. So let's look at Job chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll dive right in. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come, and it's a blessing to be able to acknowledge you as not only our God, but as our Heavenly Father on this Father's Day. And wherever we are, everyone in this room has had a father, whether they know him, knew him, whether he was a man of integrity, whether he was a rich man or a poor man, you gave us a dad, and he gave, along with our mother's life. But ultimately, Lord, you're our heavenly father. You're perfect. You're the one that we really need to connect with. And you're the one that we need to know. So we ask for your guidance. Open the hearts of our dads here this morning open the heart of every parent, and truly open the heart of everyone because we all face these dangers as we live in times of prosperity. So, Father, I, I, I pray especially for Beth, Calmes, and uh, as they have followed you to the other side of the world, and I pray that you would give wisdom to their family as they make these decisions regarding her dad. And may she know that uh, there's a church of people that love her, love her family, and are praying for her dad this morning. We're so grateful, Lord, that we can bring every need that we have to you. Now, give us discernment. Give us wisdom. Let us be like Job in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest, the richest, the most blessed of all men of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it came about when the days of feasting had completed their cycle that Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now the first thing that we see in this is the delight that we can take 
in God's blessings. The delights of parenting with integrity in times of prosperity. I love this verse from Proverbs 10. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. It is okay to delight in the things that God gives us. That's a good reminder. Okay? So enjoy. It's okay to enjoy Father's Day today. Uh, And here's some of the things that parents with integrity get to delight in. First of all, God-fearing purity. People with integrity should take delight in God-fearing purity. We see this in verse Three times, there's no doubt that Job was a man of integrity. It's said three times in chapters 1 and 2, and one time it's on the lips of God himself. And here's what I want you to see under this. Real simple point. God delights in blessing people of integrity. God delights in blessing people of integrity. And therefore, people of integrity ought to delight in God's blessings. Okay? Don't let the book of Job, with its... Many chapters of adversity make you think that God doesn't enjoy and doesn't bless people of integrity. He wants you to enjoy those blessings. He blesses people with that. Don't let uh, that all the uh, the negativity or all the rejection of of all of the adversity. Job took delight in God's blessings, and so should we. So enjoy. Now, what are some of the blessings we get to enjoy? Number two. God-given posterity. God-given posterity. Job was rich in many things, right? But he took delight, not in the least, in his kids. He took delight. He's had seven sons, which is like the ideal number in that culture, three daughters combined for a total of ten, and that was seen as the perfect number. I think he delighted in his kids more than all his possessions. And the reason why I say that is they're mentioned before in this, these verses, it's men- they're mentioned before all of his possessions, and they're mentioned after all of his possessions. And then I think this clenches it for me. Satan waited to take his kids at the very end. Because Satan knew, you can take all these other things, and I, if I still have my kids, it's okay. No, I'm taking that which is most precious at the very end. So, 7 plus 3, 10, seen as the ideal number. Now, sadly, in our culture, the ideal number, increasingly, the ideal number of kids is becoming zero. Zero kids are often seen as uh, the ultimate blessing. The Bible has a different message. And here's the message of the Bible. The Bible is clear that children are a blessing from the Lord. Listen to Psalm 127. We're reading through the Psalms for the summer. You'll get to this here at the end of the summer. Psalm 127 says this, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed, how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, that's a great verse, except some people misread that. We read that and we wrongly conclude that only those couples with large families are blessed and that everyone must have a full quiver. It says, blessed is man whose quiver is full. But they fail to realize that God gives different size quivers to every couple. God gives different size quivers to every couple. And just like being rich or poor, it's not how much money you have that determines your rightness or blessings from God. 
It does, it's not how many kids you have that determines how right you are with God. So that kind of begs the question, doesn't it? How many, how many kids is the right number? Okay, one of the things I do in premarital counseling is I always ask the, each, each individual, have you, what's, how many kids do you want? How many kids do you want? And it's interesting to see, you know, and then I kind of turn them loose and give them a half hour to figure out how to uh, agree on that number. Now, some would answer the question, how many kids is the right number to have? And they would say, the number of kids I have, right? You know, the right number is the number of kids I have. Everybody ought to have as many kids as I have. For us, that would be one. For some of you, that would be two. For some, three, four, or more. I know a pastor who doesn't believe in birth control, and therefore, he's on number 10 and counting. And kind of like the Duggars. The Duggars are on... Uh, reality show, they are on 19 and counting, and they're trying to have number 20. Now, others would say the right number of kids is one less than what we have. Okay, okay, all the parents got that one, okay? One less than what you have. We always have one that we're just kind of wondering about, okay? Some others would say just having a child, one child, would be a blessing. Well, here's the bottom line, and I think I have this in your notes. Children are a gift from God, and have as many as your quiver can possibly hold. And that's something that you and ultimately God determines. But if God in His sovereign grace has chosen to give you no children, remember that Jesus was a childless, single man who lived a fulfilled life, overflowing with God's approval and blessing. God said to Jesus, a man who is not married, and who would never have kids, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's a message we need to communicate to one another. So those with children, here's my point. They are God-given, so delight in them as long as they, you have them with you. Number three, a third delight that Job had because a man of integrity was guilt-free prosperity guilt-free prosperity. There's a way to get rich that comes with guilt, and there's a way to be blessed with riches that is guilt-free. Job was the richest man east of the Jordan River, the godliest man on the planet, but here's the reality, or here's the lesson we learned from that. Being rich is not a sign of being ungodly. Sometimes we tend to think if you're poor, you're godly, and if you're rich, you're ungodly. Job, Abraham, many people in the Bible, some of the most godliest men in the Bible were some of the most wealthiest. So it's okay to be rich and be godly. And it's the same thing too. Being poor is not a sign of being ungodly. We live in a time of prosperity theology that would like us to think that if you're poor, you must lack faith. God wants everybody rich. Listen, just like with kids, it's not how many kids you have that determines God's blessing. It's not how many homes you have. It's not how many cars you own that determine God's blessings. Here's the fact of the matter, though. If God's blessed you with riches, delight in them, enjoy them. Number four, the fourth delight that we see in these verses is this, grace-based provision and protection. Grace-based provision and protection. Here's the bottom line. It wasn't, what we learn in the book of Job is this, it wasn't how many kids he had, and it wasn't how many possessions he had. Job's greatest joy and treasure was his relationship with God. 
Can you and I say that? That's where he delighted in it. The reason he could delight in his kids and the reason he could delight in his possessions because he knew they were gifts and he worshipped the giver more than the gift because it was based on grace. Now, how do we know that these, came, these gifts came from God? Well, we should know that because even the devil knew it. Look at verse, look at verse 10 in chapter 1. Look at verse 10. Even the devil knows that the source of God's wealth, uh, Job's wealth, is God. Look at what he says. Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? The reason Job lived in such a blessed state is because God in his grace had put a hedge of protection around all that he had. But notice what else it says. It says, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. His, he had so much because God provided it. God had blessed it. Now, here, here's the thing. Satan knew who the source of that protection and provision was. What Satan didn't understand is that it was grace-based rather than works-based. See, Satan said, yeah, you've done all this, but the reason you've done it, God, is to buy Job's love. And the reason Job is worshiping you is because in worshiping you, he earns the right to get these blessings. Works-based. That's what the whole book of Job is about, is why do we worship God? Do we worship because of what we get from him, or do we worship him because of who he was? And here's the thing. Job was able to delight in all these blessings from God because he understood who they came from and that the one that they came from was more important than the gifts that he gives. Now, as much as we should delight in those things. So, those are look look at those blessings. You ought to delight in those. We live in prosperous times. Enjoy but understand who they come from and understand they're given on the basis of grace, not of your good works. But there's dangers. God-given blessings are to be delighted in, but they come with their own set of dangers. Not because God makes them dangerous. It's because our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts are idol factories. So as God brings the blessings to us, we, in turn, make them into idols, and our kids are easily little gods that we worship. And so these are the dangers of raising kids in times of prosperity. We need to help our kids face the temptation of living with much. Now, God knows this about our hearts, that there's dangers when He blesses us. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 8, Right as the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land, a land flowing with what? Milk and honey, the blessings of God. I mean, the, the, I mean this is everything. They're, they're headed to greatness, full of abundance. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy 8. In fact, I want you to turn there. Deuteronomy 8. Turn your Bibles, Deuteronomy 8, and let's look at verses 11 through 20. Because really, this warning is the warning that Job 
is very aware of. Though he hasn't read these words, he understands that there's dangers inherent. So let's look at Deuteronomy 8 and look at these words. Verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord, your God, by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Now, here's why you got to beware that you don't forget the Lord and stop obeying Him. Verse 12. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied... Is everyone eating today? Are we satisfied? Okay. And, and our phones are going. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them... Most of us have houses, if not all of us. We definitely have roof over our heads. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies... Verse 14. Then... Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There are inherent dangers in living in times of prosperity. Drop down to verse 17. Otherwise, you may say in your heart. Now look at this. You will say where? In your heart. And we've already said in verse 14. Your heart will become proud. See, this is a heart issue. It's not something you might say verbally. It's not something that you would ever say, oh, here's what we're doing. It's something that happens, and you have to be discerning of your heart. Now, look, otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this well. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth. That's grace. That's a definition of grace. God giving us the power to be blessed. Notice what it says. Giving you the power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord, is ma the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Now, Job understood the message of Deuteronomy 8. And in verse 5, Job tells us in his own words what his greatest fear for his kids are. And look again at verse 5. The last phrase of verse 5, Job tells you what his greatest concern was for kids, raising kids with integrity in times of prosperity. And here it is. Perhaps... My sons have sinned and what? Curse God where? In their hearts. That was his driving concern. And I would put to you dads today, parents today, that the greatest concern we should have for our kids living in the prosperity times that we are living in is that they are cursing God in their hearts. Now, what does that mean? What's it mean to curse God? Well, it's easy to, uh, it's easy to live this way, first of all. And what, what's it mean? Now, some, some people have studied this passage, 
they're eating, they're drinking, and they think to curse God means that they shouldn't have been eating and drinking. Now, that's why I had this first point. Delighting and feasting in the blessings of God is not sin, and that's not cursing God. Some people think they were drink, drunken orgies. You know, they're, they're, they, they must have, the reason they cursed God was they drank too much. And then they did things they shouldn't have done. But that's not the case. Maybe they were guilty of being gluttons. Or maybe it's just that they, they, they enjoyed having these parties a little too much. You know, they were lovers of pleasure. Maybe it was because they were too wealthy and they enjoyed their wealth a little too much. I think the answer to all that is no. It's, again, delight yourself in the blessings that God gives. I think the answer, Job's fear was not outward sins of gluttony, drunkenness, and all these kind of things, or verbally cursing God. That wasn't it. It was sins of the heart. And so I would put forth to you that there are four ways that we can curse God in our hearts in times of wealth. And here, here they are. First of all, and we've already seen this in the Deuteronomy passage, is by having a prideful heart. By having a prideful, a prideful heart. That's cursing God in our heart. And what do I mean by that? Well, I have it written out for you. Taking personal credit for one's blessings versus glorifying God as the giver of all things. I think here's what Job was concerned. Is as my kids, my adult kids, are enjoying these blessings, they're beginning to worship the gift rather than the giver. They're becoming proud and thinking, I did these things. And what happens is, I deserve these things. And then what happens is, I have a right to these things. But then what happens when God takes them away? See what I'm saying? See where I'm going with it? Deuteronomy 8 says, Then in your heart you'll become proud and you'll forget God. And in verse 17 it says, Otherwise you may say in your heart, My power, my strength, my hand has done this. Proverbs 38 that we already read, That I, I will not be full and deny you saying who is the Lord. Dads, here's what, here's what I'm saying to you. We need to help our kids see that God gets the credit for all that we enjoy. We need to ask God to give us discernment to see when our kids are developing a proud heart. And you better ask God for that because you and I can't see their heart. Does this make sense? Are you, are you with me on this? See, the greatest fear I have with Amber is what in the world's going on on the inside? Because I can't see that. I can't know that. I can't control that. I can't fix that. And even if I know what's going on in there, I can't get in there to do anything about it. See, it's a God thing. So God, give me a discerning heart. Are my kids developing a proud heart? Am I helping my kids to always shoot the gratitude to God rather than to themselves? Number one, having a prideful heart towards God. Number two, having an idolatrous heart. Having an idolatrous heart, okay? Where's my pen? Where's my pen? Idolatrous. Because that's the next step, okay? A proud heart 
becomes an idolatrous heart. And what, what I mean by that, Job was concerned that his kids were living for the blessings instead of for the God who gives the blessings. Who are you living for? Now, what do I mean by that? You know, if you're a child of the 80s as I am, you know the song, Living for the, the Weekend. Living for the Weekend, right? Living for the weekend. You know what I'm talking about. It's so he, Here's what Job was concerned. Are my kids living for the next party? The next feasting? The next holiday? The next you fill in the blank? And what you may be living for would turn me off. And what I'm living for may not interest you. That's not the point. The point is, what am I living for versus who am I living for? Is that good? That's some good stuff. It's easy to live for the next paycheck, isn't it? For the next promotion, the next raise. It's easy for our kids to live for the next piece of technology, the next gadget, the next game, the next performance. For most of our kids, they're not living for the American dream. They're living the American reality. Okay? They're, they're, they're not looking for it. They're living it. And the question becomes... Are they living for it rather from the one who gave it? Here's the deal. It's easy to mistake our status update on Facebook for our status before God, and that's just not the case. Are we teaching our kids to worship their accomplishments in life more than we're teaching them how to worship what God has accomplished for them in Christ? You see... Has the selfie become begun to characterize our kids more than sacrificially serving God through our church? Now, I can't answer. Those are tough questions, first of all. Are those tough questions? I can't answer those for you and your family. It's tough enough for me to answer them for my family. But here's what I can see in the life of Job, that this was his concern as a dad, raising kids in times of prosperity. Remember, the human heart, is an idol factory, and that's as true for your kids as it is for you and I. Number three, cursing God in our hearts can mean having an ungrateful heart. An ungrateful heart. And, you know, this, this, is pretty, this one's pretty basic, but it's pretty easy to forget. Taking God's blesses for, blessings for granted versus thanking God for everything He gives. You realize in Romans 1, the first step away, the first step to apostasy, the first step to sexual depravity, the first step to an immoral God-rejecting life is the failure to say thank you to God. Here's what it says. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. The first step away from God, the first step in cursing God is real simple. You forget to thank Him for everything that we enjoy. Man, that's easy to do. That's just easy to do. How are we teaching our kids to trace their blessings back up to the one who gives them. And then number four, having a selfish heart. Having a selfish heart. 
Now, again, these are all ways to curse God in our heart. See, when we see curse God, we think, wow, that's really bad. I don't do that. When you understand that this is cursing God, then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I'm on the x-ray table and I'm seeing some things that I don't want to see in my own life, all right? We're all can be guilty of cursing God. Keeping Here's, here's the selfishness. I think Job was afraid that his kids would keep their blessings for themselves versus sharing them with others in need as God requires. Why do I say that? Because as we've studied the book of Job, Job was a rich man, but you know what Job also was? He was a generous man. And how do we know that? Because in Job 29, he says what he did with all of his wealth, and he took care of the orphan. He took care of the widow. He took care of the poor. You see, that's why God blesses people with prosperity. He blesses those that he knows will not hoard his blessings, but they will be a channel to get those blessings to those in need. You know, one of the things I point out to my daughter when we're moving around downtown and see things like uh, the Kaufman Center, which we love, great space, and see that, I remind her that, you know, that comes from a rich person who used their wealth for the betterment of our community. You know, we live in a time in our country where rich people are being demonized and the government is wanting to redistribute the wealth and make it all flat and equal. Listen, that's not how God operates. That's not how God's economy and stewardship operates. He blesses rich people for the intent that they would be channels of blessing to the community. Are you with me? That's why these people's names are all on there. Is because they're taking their wealth and they're sharing it. Now, are they increasing their wealth by doing that? Well, yeah, but that's fine. They're sharing it with others. How much more should we be that way as the people of God? Listen, as odd as it sounds, it's sometimes easier to be generous with little than with much. Okay? It could... But here's also the other truth, the other side to that. If you have little and you're not generous, if you get more, you won't get you won't suddenly become generous. Is that are you with me? Rich people are tempted to keep it for themselves. That's just a nature of it. But you know what? Poor people are tempted to think they can't be generous. Here's the bottom line. Don't curse God. Whatever blessings he gives you, whatever little... Listen, if you have a small home and you're not hospitable, you're not going to get more hospitable when you get a bigger home. Share what you have now, whatever that may be. Dads, we need to lead our families in being sacrificial givers instead of selfish takers. And number five, they have a worldly heart. They have a worldly heart. We can curse God in our hearts when we have a worldly heart towards God. And what do I mean by that? Measuring success by how rich you are now versus how rich you will be in the coming kingdom, in the coming kingdom of Christ, the millennial kingdom. Now, why do I say that? I think Job was concerned that his kids would look at their wealth and think, God is pleased with me. Because I'm wealthy. When in fact, God is pleased with us because of our faith. As a parent, listen to me. As a parent, Job cared more what God thought about his kids' integrity than what his kids thought about him. 
That's why he said, hey, kids, I want you to come over and I'm going to offer sacrifices for you because I care more what God thinks about your integrity than whether you think I'm old, crazy, religious guy. I care more what God thinks about your integrity than what you think about me. But listen to this. He cared as a parent more about what his kids thought about God than about their outward behavior in front of other people. Job cared more about what was going on in their hearts than, you know, because if you looked at this family from the outside, you're like, man, this is the perfect family. The guy's the most godly man on the planet. He's blessed. He's the richest man east of the Jordan River. His ten kids all get along and they, and they worship together. This is the ideal home. And you know what Job said? None of that means anything if in their hearts they're cursing God. Wow. Now, this is really cool. Dads, we need to lead our kids, our families, in what matters most. And there they are. There they are. Okay? But listen, you might be saying that basically this is one chapter. I don't know if you're really getting this. You know, is this really biblical? Well, here's how you make sure you're not messing with the Old Testament. You, see, you seek to verify its truth in the New Testament. So I want to take you to 1 Timothy chapter 6. So turn your Bibles, 1 Timothy 6. I want you to take a look at 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6. Now this is just, when I saw this, I just got, I got excited. Because the concern that Job had for his physical rich kids was the same concern that Paul has for his spiritual kids in Ephesus who were rich. Now look at 1 Timothy 6, and we're going to see, follow along, we're going to see all five of these. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Okay, rich Christians, like us, we're rich Christians. Instruct them not to be what? Conceited. And what is that? A prideful heart. Or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. What is that? An idolatrous heart. My hope is in what I own, not the one who gives it. Okay? And then it says, But on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, to en- He supplies them to enjoy, that is the opposite of an ungrateful heart. Instruct them to do be good, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That's warning them about a selfish heart. And then he says, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is life indeed, rich in the world to come and not this world. Isn't that awesome? What Job said in one phrase, I I hope they're not cursing God in their hearts, Paul lays out for us in the New Testament. Those are the dangers. Now, here's the now, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? Well, here's what you need. The four, the third thing that you need, delight in what you have, be aware of the dangers, but now you need discernment for raising kids of integrity. And so As I looked at what Job did in this passage, I see seven priorities that if you want to counter, if you want to counter these five dangers, 
then these are the seven priorities. Dads, we need to lead the way. Now, here's the first thing. Be wise like Job and authenticate blameless integrity before your kids. Authenticate blameless integrity before your kids and your spouse in times of prosperity and adversity. In other words, what you want for your kids, you have to be, okay? You teach what you know, you reproduce who you are. If you want kids of integrity, you have to be authentic and be a man of integrity. Make sense? You say, how do I know Job raised kids with integrity? Actually, I don't know that, but I know he was a man of integrity, and I, 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 the odds are he was raising kids with integrity. Now, I've given under each one of these suggested resources, and I tried to even find free ones. So this first one, here it is, a guide to biblical manhood. It's a free PDF. You can go online. You can download that. So you don't have any excuse for not getting a resource on this area. It's free. And then I have other ones, and I try to put them in order from easier to harder, you know, depending on what your level of uh, 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 spiritual growth and where you're at. Number two, accentuate with your children that integrity begins with a love-based fear with God. Accentuate, emphasize, highlight, put in big lights, tell your kids that here's where it begins. If you want to avoid these things, it begins with a fear of God. The whole book of Job is about fearing God. And I don't have time to lay that out. I hope you've been with this series. If you want to hear more about it, come next week. We'll dive into it some more. But here's the idea. You need to help your kids to understand that the way to avoid this is by knowing more about who God is and realizing God is so much greater than the gifts that he gives. Now, how do you do that? You can't fear God if you don't know who he is. You need to learn more, dads, about who God is. And I've given you a free PDF, A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy, goes through the attributes of God, gets you closer to God. The more you know who God is, the more you're going to fear God. And you need to emphasize to your kids. Kids, doesn't matter what's going on in your life, fear God. The answer is, you know, Jesus you know, in, in junior church, the answer to every question in church is always Jesus. Well, in reality, the, que- the answer to every question in life, fear God. What do I do? Fear God. But what do I do about this? Fear God. Okay, number two. Number three, this is big. Concentrate on your children's inner heart versus their outer behavior. I love this about Job. Everything was going good. I mean, this is like me with uh, your, my daughter's grades. As long as she's getting A's, I have a tendency to not ask questions, not be concerned, and I have to stop myself and remind myself, Chris, the goal is not getting A's, it's learning. And because the goal is learning, then I have to ask questions. I have to get involved. I have to probe. I have to see if those A's really mean anything. Well, we can do the same thing as parents, right? As long as our kids are behaving... We can tend to say, well, hey, relax. But the reality is what's going on on the inside takes more time for probing, and you have to concentrate on the inner character. So my suggested resource is a book by the name of Shepherding a Child's Heart. How to to not just raise a well-behaved kid, but a God-fearing kid in their heart. Number four. 
communicate regularly with your children, even as adults, to influence them. I like this about Job. At the end of these either weekly, I don't know if these cycles were weekly, monthly, or annual. That's not the point. The point is he was in regular communication with his kids, and he gathered them together. He had a relationship even with his grown kids. Dads, if you're going to influence your kids, and your kids need your influence as much when they're older as when they're young, as when they're grown and married, as when they're in your home, You've got to contact them, and we have no excuse in our age of communication, right? We can always reach out. They may not respond back. They may not want to communicate with you, but you can always be reaching and communicating with them. Far easier when my daughter was younger than as a teenager. Very easy. Far harder to find the time, to make the time, time that they're open to. And sometimes, dads, you just need to say, we're going to go talk, whether you want to or not. Now, you can't be that gruff about it, but you kind of just do it. You just go, off we go. And you know what? If you pick a place that they like to go to, if you pick a context where they're, they like to do that, you can do a lot of talking at a Royals game. There's nothing else to see. Well, they're winning right now. Number five, consecrate your child, your children, by calling them to weekly public worship in times of prosperity and adversity. Here's what Job did. He gathered and called his family to make public worship as a priority. Big deal. Job saw the worship of God as a weekly priority, and he saw it as a time of confession and cleansing. Basically, family, we need to get closer to God. Let's go to church. Let's do that. Number six, demonstrate for your children on a consistent basis how trusting the promises of God in the gospel brings forgiveness and life change. I love what he did. He gathered them together, and he, and he, he did burnt offerings. And by doing so, he said, look, God has promised someday to bring a Messiah, a Redeemer, Let's put our trust in God's promises as a family. There's a family worship resource for you there. Number seven, validate for your children that living with integrity in times of prosperity and adversity always pays in the end. Ultimately, Job validated this. And here's the irony of Job's story. The act in which he most validated for his kids, they didn't see. Why? Because it's when God took his kids or allowed his kids to be taken that he validated. You say, well, how did that validate for his kids? Hello, they're in heaven. Someday they'll see their dad. And won't that be cool when Job and his kids were reunited in heaven? And he was able to say to them, kids, I love God more than I loved you. God allowed you to be taken. And I maintained my integrity. And I have validated before you that living with integrity will pay off in the end. But that doesn't mean there won't be hard times in between. Isn't that good? 
Now, how do you validate that? Well, let me end with this. Well, first of all, he validated it with the statements he said when he lost everything, okay? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job had no problem here. But here's how you validate it. Take these five things and reverse them. Live so that you leave your children a legacy of you having a humble heart, a worshipful heart, a grateful heart, an unselfish heart, a a, a godly heart. Isn't that good? And this is just good stuff. Good, good stuff. Now, here's what I want you to do. Let me give you next steps. Number one, discern where you are in these seven priorities. Look at these five and, and discern, discern where your kid's heart is. Discern where you are in those priorities. And then I would challenge you, determine to get the one resource that is recommended that you most need. Determine to get that one resource. And then I want to ask you, dads, do the next thing. Don't do everything. Just do the next thing to begin raising your kids with integrity. And then I would just end with this. You've got to depend on the Lord to persevere as a parent. You've got to persevere. The whole message of Job is persevere through the hard times. And parents, there are hard times. But you depend on the Lord. And we will be able to discern these things and raise our kids with integrity. Isn't that good? That's just good stuff. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for the blessings. I thank you for the men and women that helped serve breakfast this morning. And Lord, we live in a place of abundance. Um, And no matter what problems our country has, right now, we're in a time of prosperity. But Lord, there may come adversity in this country that we have only heard about from our parents' parents that we and our children have never experienced. And Lord, may we live with integrity now. And may we understand that all that we have are gifts from you. And may we fear you now so we will fear you in the bad times. And Father, give our dads discernment. Give our mothers, single parents, discernment. Lord, let us see what's going on in the heart of our kids. And let us not wring our hands, but by faith depend and persevere in living for you and loving you. I pray your blessings. Raise up men of integrity in our church, in our country. Lord, let it begin with us. In Jesus' name, amen.